0: So, as many of you know, and as you probably gathered from our guided meditation, we're doing a series on the paramis this year—the ten beautiful qualities of mind that are that were perfected in the Buddha and that we can quali- that we can cultivate ourselves. And last week, if you were here, Arv started us off with a great introduction to them. And as a quick reminder, I'll. Mention them again, generosity, ethics, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. No need to memorize, but just to kind of get a sense of what they are, and we'll be referring to them, I think, over and over in the coming weeks. Um, So, Over the past week, we probably, many of us have been thinking about these qualities and as Arv encouraged us to do last Sunday, thinking about the ones that are our strengths and the ones that are challenging for us and the ones we might want to especially pay attention to during the coming year. And I know I've been doing that. And one of the things that I noticed was that all of them are challenging in one way or another. So I found that it was hard to actually pick, this is strong, you know, this is weak. But what I did recognize, though, was that I had a few... Um, What I might consider go-to paramis, you know, ones that come up in my mind when things get difficult and then I feel like, okay, this is a place that I want to think about as a refuge. And one of these was equanimity, you know, reminding myself that this is just the way it is right now. And just staying with this moment as it is. And then patience, which seems to really go right along with equanimity, being willing to let things unfold in their own way, and then wisdom, reminding myself it's natural for unpleasant things to arise, and that whatever is happening now, it will change, it will pass, it won't be there forever, and it isn't all about me. So it isn't so much I feel like these are strengths exactly, but more that they're reliable places I can go when I need some support. And then I've noticed, too, some parmes that I could use more of. Um, With all this cold and dark and with the two cats that (laughs) are so... Everywhere in my life these days that want me to do nothing but be there like personal heating pad, I've been struggling with feelings of low energy and maybe sloth and torpor, you know, and that tendency to put off things that I know it would be good for me to do, but I just don't quite feel like doing oh somebody's in the waiting room, let
1: me get get them back in here.
0: And then I happened to get some really wonderful Christmas gifts, frango mints, a couple of cuddly blankets, a couple of good novels, and then a new Roku TV, since my old one was dying, a fantastic gift from my brother, really delightful things but as you can kind of tell they're not the kind of things that really inspire me to rush out and be active and healthy and all that kind of thing it's more like ah lay on the eat bonbon time you know so i feel like i'd really benefit from getting more familiar with the paramis of energy and determination and maybe some renunciation too <clears throat> And I imagine you've had your own reflections, and I encourage you to continue with that process this month. It feels like it's a really good time to do it when we're at the start of a new year, and it's just natural to reflect on what's past and think about new beginnings. But I have to admit too that, you know, thinking about the paramis that we'd like to cultivate is one thing, but actually making the effort to do that <clears throat> is another thing. I certainly find that to be true for me. So today I'd like to talk about some of the different ways we can think about the paramis ways that maybe will give us some motivation and inspiration to move beyond just thinking about things into actually working with them and cultivating them. So to get some ideas about this, I turned to several good books that have been written about this subject by teachers and practitioners. And as I said before, these books came up in our LDL conversation about the Paramis and I put them in the chat so you can see them. And they're the Paramis by Ajahn Suchito. Pay attention for goodness sake by Sylvia Borstein. Creating a life of integrity by Gail Stark. And this world could be otherwise by Norman Fisher. They're all really good books. You might want to look at one. You might want to look at all. But they give good advice on the Paramis. And each one is a little bit, you know, has its own flavor. So one of the things I learned as I was preparing for this talk is that while the Buddha talked quite a bit about these individual qualities that make up the paramis, they weren't really organized and presented into this list of ten perfections until some time after the Buddha died. And Ajahn Suchito says that this list was developed as the Buddha's followers started to wonder, well, how could he have become such a being that was so unsurpassed in wisdom and was able to realize the path of awakening all on his own without a teacher. And they figured that he must have had just a lot of strengths and virtues to help support him into doing this. Maybe virtues that he acquired across many lifetimes. And so in the Theravada school, they settled on 10 really essential qualities that seem to be the most important, which I've already mentioned, but it doesn't hurt to do it again. Generosity, morality or ethics, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, kindness, and equanimity. So one way we can think about the paramis is as these qualities that are embodied by an individual that we really admire, someone we want to be like. And above all, of course, we have the example of the Buddha, who Sylvia Borstein describes in her book as a supremely good person. And in his book, Norman Fisher introduces the paramis or the paramitas as they're called in the Mahayana or Zen and Zen traditions as characteristics of a bodhisattva, which is a being that devotes their life to the liberation and welfare of all beings. So again, they're characteristics of a being that we would really look up to and want to emulate. But we might also be inspired by people that aren't quite so up there, and ideally maybe people in our real lives that we know. And a good example is Gail Stark in her book where she talks about being inspired by Joseph Goldstein, who she refers to as her integrity coach. And she talks about when she is around him, the feelings she had being around him were, Just, you know, noticing his calmness, his warmth, his kindness. And having this reaction was, hmm, I want what he has. And maybe some of you have sat with Joseph and you had a sense of that quality. Or you have somebody else like that in your life that you feel like, hmm, yeah, I really admire this person. I want what they have. So we can be inspired to develop the paramis by the feelings we have and the admiration we have for people who embody them. And maybe in part because we have those kinds of examples to look up to, we can also be inspired by our own desire to develop into a truly good person, you know, like this person we admire who lives a life of integrity. And in her book, Gail Stark talks about the Paramis as building blocks of integrity. And Sylvia Borstein says something kind of similar, um, where she talks about how the ideal outcome of practice is that we develop into the good and compassionate people that we're meant to be. And that's kind of a nice way of thinking about the path that we're on. And she says the Paramis are the qualities that really are associated with that journey. We might also say that there are qualities we need to develop in order to actually carry out the wise intentions that we talked about last month. Wise intentions of living a life of non-harming, a life of kindness, and a life of renunciation.
1: And we can also be inspired
0: to cultivate the Parami's because we recognize that if we develop these characteristics, we can really be a force for good in the world. Sylvia Borstein points out that when we develop the paramis, that's a real gift that we can give to each other, to our families and our communities. You know, when we act with kindness, with patience, with generosity, with all these kinds of qualities, we create an environment where everybody that comes in contact with us can feel safe and welcome. And in the world we live in today with all of the division and conflict, that's no small thing, even if it's really in this really tiny community or in our home or with our relatives. And this kind of ethical life is a gift we give ourselves as well. Because an ethical life is a happy life. You know, if we're living in a way that's kind and not harming others, then we don't have the burden of all the conflicts and complications and problems that come when we're doing things that we know eh, (laughs) probably we shouldn't be doing that, that aren't so skillful. And we aren't burdened by all the regrets we have if we don't behave in, you know, ways that are,
1: you know, kind.
0: And if we behave in ways that maybe we've hurt ourselves or hurt others we care about, if we don't do these things, if we're able to refrain, we don't have those regrets. So we can have a sense of that quality that they call in the suttas the bliss of blamelessness. Not that we're totally blameless, but that more or less we don't always have to be worrying about the consequences of our unskillful actions. And well, we know we make mistakes, there'll be a sort of a sense of, you know, we're doing the best we can and we're following our good intentions and if we make a mistake, we can try again. Norman Fisher adds another dimension to this too, this kind of dimension of imagination or vision. And, you know, he acknowledges that, you know, really we're not perfect and the world isn't perfect, often far from it. And so it's easy for us to feel that maybe making either ourselves or the world better is really an impossible task. And yet he encourages us to try anyway. You know, as the title of his book suggests, he encourages us encourages us to be inspired by I or by okay. Calm, oh, my mouth is getting goofy here. He encourages us to be inspired by our ideals and our sense that the world really could be otherwise, and we really could be otherwise. So he um, leads us to really add an element of faith and of, you know, vision to this process. You know, like kind of fixing our mind on what we really would
1: wish for ourselves and for this world.
0: Now, another really powerful motivation for cultivating the Paramis is recognizing our own suffering and wanting to be free of it. And I have to say, probably for me, this is the strongest one, you know, beautiful aspirations are great, but yet I know that, the time that I really start to get off my rear end and do something is when I'm in a situation where it's really painful and difficult. And I know that this is just, I can't take this anymore. And Anjan Suchito use, uses this framework in his book where he talks about the paramis as being qualities to help us cross the floods. And these floods that he Oops, these floods that he talks about could include all the difficult situations, the difficult emotions and mind states that we encounter in our lives as human beings. They might include the pain of aging, sickness and death, loss or change, all that pain of dukkha. They might include the hindrances craving, aversion, restlessness, sloth and torpor and doubt that fill our minds so easily. You could consider all of these different forces of hatred, greed and delusion that we can get all embroiled in and caught up in as part of these floods. But he says that most specifically, There are four currents that run under all of our mental activity and are so second nature we don't even notice them that we might want to pay a special attention to as floods. And these are the floods of sensuality, which is our attraction um, and tendency to seek out and get attached to all sorts of Pleasant sense objects, you know, that sort of craving and getting attached to the pleasant. And then the flood of becoming. All of that sense of identification and building a self. Then there are views. The beliefs and opinions that we take for granted and just assume are right to the extent that we, I mean, we don't even necessarily realize this is a view. It's just sort of, this is the way it is. And then there's ignorance which we often are not really able to see ourselves, you know, just ignorance about the way things are, ignorance about our own attachments and views and identification, all kinds of ignorance. So our minds get caught up in these habitual currents, and before we know it, we're way down the river, and we don't even realize what hit us. And then he goes on to say that the vision of the Dhamma is that if the mind is healed, strengthened, and calmed, we're no longer swept away by these floods. By all of the things I've been talking about, ideas, doubts, plans, regrets, hate, greed, grudges, desires, phobias, on and on and on. And so in the midst of all of these rushing currents of anger or greed or fear or whatever it is that's arising, we can find some solid footing where we can stand and not be slept, swept downstream. And he goes on to say that cultivating these ten parmes is a really powerful way of healing and calming and strengthening the mind so we can find this place of solid footing immense all the turmoil of our lives and of our minds, (laughs) because even if our lives are relatively calm, we know our minds can be in turmoil too. So you can think of the paramis as mental qualities that help us to keep from being swept away by the floods of the everyday difficult conditions um, that we encounter all the time. And there are also qualities that help us with a crossing of the floods in a deeper sense. So the ultimate meaning of this metaphor about crossing the floods is that we cross the floods to the other shore. In other words, we cross the floods of hatred, greed, and delusion to the other shore of Nibbana. So, you know, we kind of remember the paramis were qualities that were thought to support the Buddha in his awakening, and so they can support us as well. So we can have the sense that the paramis are a support for us in the smallest, most everyday kinds of things, but also in our deepest and highest aspirations that we could have in our spiritual lives. And so, you know, that's that's really a lot. You know, thinking about that makes me feel inspired to cultivate these paramis. So one of the things that all of the teachers and authors I've referred to say when talking about the paramis is that they're really well-suited for practice in daily life. You know, some of the mental qualities that really help us, like deep concentration and tranquility, are easier to develop in a retreat setting where everything is calm and secluded. But the paramis can be there for us anytime. And it's good to remember too that they're qualities that are there in all of us. And they emerge, you know, naturally when conditions are right. As maybe you saw in your um meditation this morning, and that emerge naturally as our understanding of the Dhamma gets deeper. For instance, as we see how impermanent everything is more and more clearly, we're less likely to try to hang on to things that are already changing. And so we might naturally find that we're more generous, and renunciation isn't such a struggle. And it's also true that when we work on one of these paramis, and it becomes stronger, it helps us to strengthen the other ones too. So Ajahn Suchito also says something else that I found really helpful, that there are three stages we go through in developing these paramis. So you might think about this as you're starting your you know, cultivation. The first is what he calls initiating, and that's just starting to think about a particular parami, to start paying attention to it, maybe having some intention to cultivate it or practice it. And this could include just noticing when it arises naturally so we really see that we actually have the capacity for that quality. And this doesn't really sound like so much, but even this much, I think, can make a lot more difference than we might imagine. And then there's what he calls gathering. And this is the stage where the work really starts, where you start to put the parami into practice as best you can, when you find yourself up against difficulties or when it feels like maybe this is a quality you could use. When you're in the midst of the floods, you might say, and a stage where you keep making the effort to connect with that parami, even if it feels too hard or not worth it. Or you don't want to do it. And sometimes, you know, when you're doing this, you'll find that firm ground that keeps you from being swept away. Sometimes you'll get swept away anyway in spite of your best efforts. But you keep trying. And the parami becomes more and more accessible, more and more familiar, more and more of a support. And finally there's completion and this is the stage where the parmy is so well established it's like whenever something difficult comes up it's your go-to response and you feel like you can see it through any it can see you through any obstacle and wouldn't that be wonderful So his descriptions of these stages um make me feel like None of this is a quick or an easy process, but it's one that can really make a difference over time and that we can just work on, work on, work on as best we can. Now, one of the struggles we all have when it comes to cultivating the Parmes or any good quality is this danger of making this whole process something that's kind of too personal and too, too much about us too much of a self-improvement project it's really easy to get caught up in that to get caught in judging ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people and trying to fix ourselves and in doubts about whether we really can ever be good enough and really ever do this thing but as Ajahn Suchito says this development of the parmes isn't really about Improving our self-image or about how good or bad we are. It's more, in his words, about developing a sense of learning to act for our own deepest welfare. Which is a nice way to put it. And also for the welfare of others. Which often kind of amounts to the same thing. And to act in a way that leads to peace. Peace in our communities, peace in our own hearts. And this isn't something that we can just make happen, boom, snap our fingers because we think we're going to do it. It's something that we need to work on and that unfolds unfolds gradually in its own way. It unfolds in a way so, you know, sometimes I think we don't even realize how natural some of these beautiful qualities have become in, until maybe one day suddenly we think, oh, hey, that used to not upset me so much. Now it doesn't. Not with this feeling like I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked, and finally I'm better, but more like, oh, somehow that problem has fallen away. So there are several things that can inspire us to develop the paramis our admiration for those that embody these qualities our desire to live with integrity and be a force for good, our desire to find some relief from our own suffering. We can be motivated to develop develop tools that help us to deal with those ordinary annoyances of life in a more skillful and less painful way. And we can be motivated by a desire for the very deepest liberation possible from the forces of hate, greed, and delusion. So the parmes have a role in all of these. So we've talked a lot about crossing the floods this morning, so I'd like to conclude with a poem by the nun Upasama from the anthology First Free Women. And this poem, it kind of reminds us to proceed with care and patience and faith. As we're Cultivating the Paramis and crossing the floods. And with the need for those qualities as we do this, she says, How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones.
1: How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a
0: time or not at all, so the sense that if we're going to cross, we really need those qualities of calm, of patience, of equanimity, of
1: care. But if we cultivate those qualities, they'll see us through the floods to the farther shore. So let's just sit for a moment. And now we have some time for our small group discussion. So
0: now we have some time um, for you to share with the rest of the group what came up. In your small group, if you would like to do that, or if you have any questions or comments, anything like that, you can do that. Um, if you would like to uh, use your little uh, virtual hand, that's a great way for me to know that you would like to say something. Um, oh, here comes Judith right now. <laughs> you came first, so I'll let you go first,
1: Judith. Alright. Um, yeah, one thing that we all seem to agree on is how difficult it is to give ourselves credit for improvement that we have made, you know, and and I think all of us can see that, that we have. And yet we're so, I know, I am so aware of how far I have to go in becoming, you know, equanimity or patience or whatever it is. Um, but it 's so reinforcing if you can stop and think oh i didn 't react that time the way I would have, mm-hmm. and makes you realize that it really is possible, and that we it how important it is to give ourselves some some kindness and some
0: credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's really important. I mean, it's really important to notice when those qualities arise and to notice that things get easier. And it isn't a matter of noticing with the sense of, oh, I'm such a phenomenal person, but just to realize that it does make a difference. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's having faith in the practice. Right. That it actually does work. <laughs> exactly. It's not so much about us, but, you know, having faith in the practice that it really does work. And I, I think we we see that. Mm-hmm. If we're not so focused on the negative that we can't recognize it. So mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I think this is something we'll probably come back to again and again is to remember to notice those times when, we do exhibit that quality or do find that solid ground where we can rise above the flood. So thank you. Let's see, Julie, did you have something you wanted to say?
2: Yeah. Okay,
0: please go ahead.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to say that, um, that the, uh, the uh what i wanted to to make a point of and by the way to my group i apologize for accidentally leaving early that was a mistake <laughs> because it was really engaging conversation but i just wanted to say that um in my personal experience in, in this journey um the, the 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 absolute number one most important thing of all has been you know what what you were just talking about the the You know, learning how to sort of self-kindness, you know, the loving kindness that has to be, you have to I I have had to put a massive amount of energy into directing that inward, into working through that process, um, and to loosening up this, you know, lifelong habitual tendency to think in terms of black and white. Am I there? Am I not there? Am I perfect or am I not perfect? And you know what the answer is always going to be. So I just wanted to second that thought. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: And, you know, it's really true too that um, it's, you know, we can feel like developing loving kindness for ourselves is a self-centered activity, but it really isn't because it, Allows us to actually feel that kindness towards others. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to really offer true kindness towards others when we're so worried about our own faults and our own deficiencies and how they might see us and all that. It's hard to open. So yeah, it's very, very important. Really important. And it makes me think how important patience for ourselves is, too, in this whole process. Yeah. All the qualities work together. So thank you very much. Anyone else that would like to have
1: a few words? Ah, yes. Maria, please go ahead.
3: I'm not quite sure that you... This is the right thing to say or not, but we'll talk about truthfulness. And uh, in the small group, I was kind of feeling confused about what that really means. Because as, I, like I said in the small group, if I'm really truthful about what I really want, that may sound a little bit to be selfish. And I don't want to do that. So I don't know where the line is and what is, mm. is really, what is truthful me? Really means. I think I'm a little bit struggling on that.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. I
0: well, oh,
3: I
1: think
0: that. you know when you're talking about if you recognize what you really want. I mean, if if what you if if your wants are things that you sort of consider selfish, and you see that, that's that's good. <laughs> I mean. I I think when it, when it comes to truthfulness within ourselves it's really to see things the way they are even if it isn't the picture we want to see you know we can recognize that we would prefer to feel otherwise or be otherwise and yet be able to recognize well you know right now this is where I am and I think it's better to really see that clearly and then we can Work with it, than to try to pretend it's otherwise. When really that difficulty is there within us. So yeah, to see to see clearly, and and if things aren't the way you think they ought to be, to yeah, offer yourself patience and forgiveness and <laughs> equanimity. You know, like. You know, right now, this recognizing right now, this is really hard for me right now. I don't feel very generous or right now I'm wrapped up in my own concerns. Um, It's better to know it and be honest with yourself about it than to try to pretend that things are different, I think. Okay.
3: Yeah, I I I I'm not talking about doing something harmful to anybody. Oh else. no
0: no, of course not. Of yeah, course I'm not.
3: It's like something I want, but maybe other people don't want. And if I'm going to do that, that that would be truthful to me because I really want to do that. Because I want to join this meeting. Maybe somebody said you shouldn't do that. Blah 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 blah. I said mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. this So yeah, and that's where I'm struggling. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to join the meeting. I don't care about what you're
0: saying. <laughs> saying. Yeah. So
3: probably those small things, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that can be hard, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of finding the balance between taking good care of ourselves and taking good care of others. Because if we shift too far and always defer to what they want, then we're not taking care of ourselves. If we always think about just what we want and don't consider... Their situation, then you know we're not really taking care of them, so it's it's I think it's really tough and it's hard to always make the right choice, and we won't but I think if you're you know before I was thinking more, you were thinking about truthfulness within yourself, but I understand what you're talking about I think it's you know just it's really it's hard and you know be thoughtful and and try to be balanced as much as you can. And, you know.
3: I guess sometimes it can be both. Sometimes, like, mm-hmm. am I just thinking about myself, or I'm trying to find the balance. So mm-hmm. so that is a very tricky one for
0: me. It is a tricky one. A
3: lot of work to do on that one. Yeah,
0: it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one. I think it's hard for all of us. So that is a real challenge there, you know, the balance between our needs and the needs of those around us so we can really do what's kind for
1: as many as we can. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let's
0: see. Well, just check to see if there might be one more person. It's just about time to go to announcements and closing. I don't want to keep you guys over time. but.